And at 25 minutes after the hour, we're joined by Pastor Robbie Pruitt. Robbie's an Anglican pastor, resides in Virginia. That's where his church is in Fairfax. He's right close to uh, Washington, but he's not yet been contaminated, which is something we, we appreciate a whole lot here. <laughs> Fallout is prevalent, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robbie good is. To ha- good to be with you, Jim and David. Thanks for having me on the Broken Road. Always a pleasure. Robbie, always. Uh, also, the executive director of Preserving Bible Times, and we're we're glad for that ministry too, and uh, to see the wonderful work Robbie is doing there. You cranked out a nice newsletter a couple of days ago. And, uh, Thanks. Yeah, we were talking it. about the vine and the branches, John 15, and abiding. Hmm. Well, today we're talking Mark, or are we talking John, or are we talking John Mark? John Mark, <laughs> yeah, John Mark. there you go. And, yeah. now, I've been doing a little background research on this, and I, I've read a few things about Mark in my time. Um, the Gospels refer to him as Mark, which is a Roman name, and, and one of the most common Roman names. Um, Acts presents him that presumably, I guess there's some debate about this as to whether the, the, the John Mark mentioned in Acts is actually the same as, as, as Mark, but I think the consensus is that it is the same and, and it would not be right to, to separate them. But John was his, his Semitic name, which is the most common name in, in, uh, in Hebrew. So I'm just wondering if they called him Mark in the gospels to avoid confusion with John, the disciple, later the apostle. Uh, is that possible? Is that just because those are written in in Greek, but they chose the Roman name, Mark? Yeah, I mean, you can find this uh, mention of Mark or John Mark, as we call in him in Acts fifteen, verse thirty-seven. It says, "Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark." So you get that name drop there in Acts, and that's Luke's writing of Acts, but. John Mark was uh, Paul's uh, disciple and Peter's scribe. He was a spiritual son to Paul. Kind of a secretary to Peter, though. Yeah, yeah. And he has a little bit of a, a, a dark side where he didn't show up. Uh, but uh, because the very next verse in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 38, but Paul thought it best not to take him, take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. Now, so that's been, been, did, been treated as maybe a disagreement between Paul and right. Barnabas. Uh, could yeah. that have been? Yeah, and, and the fact that, that um, they didn't show up when they were supposed to. So, and so, so, so Barnabas went in another direction along with John, I guess. I think yeah. wound up in Cyprus uh, preaching. They did, I think. and yeah. all of this is in, in Acts chapter 15, a little mm. bit of his, history there. Verses 36 through 41. Now, we, we I think I'm, I'm safe saying we know that Mark was the first of the four Gospels written. I, that might be speculation because we don't have original manuscripts of e- any of the four Gospels. But uh, there's, there's some speculation that I've read that he was in Babylon with Peter, um, of course, long after the... the, uh, the uh, Exile, exile, yeah. So it would have been would have been the first century, but he would have and and maybe started interviewing Peter, taking notes from him then to compose his eventual book of Mark that we know as the Book of Mark. Yeah, and it's important to realize that while John Mark would have been following the disciples and Jesus around, especially towards the end of Jesus's life and ministry. John Mark was not one of the 12 disciples, and you're right to point out that there is a John. It's the youngest disciple, 
the disciple whom Jesus loved, but this is not the same John Mark. This so, is not the same so, John. So was, was Mark, in modern terms, more of a, a groupie? He just hung out, liked the teaching, enjoyed the company, you suppose? Well, I, I'd say he's a disciple, but he's just not one of the 12. Okay, well, he, there were a lot of disciples I mean, beyond the 12. We, we, we know right. that. And we know that, uh, that John's mother had a, apparently a fairly large house in Jerusalem. So it may be, just may be, that she was one of Jesus' supporters. You know, exactly. monetarily, financial supporters. Yeah, the church is uh, in their ha- home. And so Mark is the first gospel written. Originally, scholars thought it was Matthew. So you get the gospels in chronological order as they were assembled, um, ah, as thought okay. of that day. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But now if you were to order them, it would be Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. Because Mark was written anywhere between 55 and 65. Our good friend Randy, uh, Dr. Randall Smith, uh, he, he puts the date at around 65. I've always liked the uh, the younger date of 55 to, to 59 A.D., but it's the source gospel for Luke and uh, Matthew. But that so, would mean that Luke's gospel would have been been written sometime after sixty five A.D. Then, if if most most likely seventy. Okay, and I guess that's entirely possible. He was still around and and uh, writing the book of Revelation, among other things, uh, perhaps as late as as uh, eighty or ninety. Well, uh, that's maybe. John. Yeah, so John, yeah, John writes John, yeah. John's gospel, and Revelation is written around ninety. Yeah. Okay, now is it is it your understanding that Mark also spent time with Peter in Rome, likely just before Peter's execution, when he left and wound up in Alexandria? Have, have you read that? I don't know about the Alexandria piece, but we do know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe they're hanging out. I mean, Mark is Peter's scribe. But this would have been so, would have been in 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 the sixties, in sixty to sixty five A.D. Sometime because that's supposedly when Peter was was executed just before Paul. Well, that would have been a later yeah. If if you had a later view of the writing, and if Mark is scribing for for Peter, then it would have had to have been um, a, a little bit later that he's getting his information. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is why Mark's gospel is all often known as, as Peter's gospel, because Peter is um, telling the information to Mark as he scribes it. So from Mark, uh, chapter one of, of Mark, you, you've distilled out the mission of the church in verses mm-hmm. 29 through 39. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a it's a telling bunch of verses. I mean, it it talks about Jesus and going apart into a, a desolate place to pray, and then kind of getting his disciples together and and starting his work as an itinerant preacher, basically going to different towns through the Galilee region. Uh, how does this describe the mission of the church? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, let's just look a little bit at Mark's gospel. It is written to a Roman audience, and uh, it's written to a Gentile audience. It's like an action book. It's high speed. You, you almost feel winded when you look when you read it. It's like immediately this, and immediately that, and immediately, and everything's immediate. Yeah, it's like yeah. it was taken from notes. Mm. I think that's one of the things that makes it think it was it was it was derived from interviews with Peter, and Mark didn't necessarily have the first person knowledge of everything that went in between. I mean, that's just I'm just guessing now. 
Yeah, and and so a couple of things that are highlighted here, if he's writing to a Roman audience, people want to know how close are you, uh, how, how close are you to authority? And are you the authority? This issue of authority is huge to a, a Roman audience. So they're looking to, you know, degrees of power, um, authority of teaching, and how close are you to the to Caesar, you know, how, how close are you to the hub of power? And so when Mark writes his gospel, everybody's amazed at Jesus's teaching and authority. And last week we looked a little bit about how when Jesus is teaching, they're amazed because he's teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So you get this juxtaposition this wow factor of Jesus's authority in contrast to the religious leaders of the day. And here again in Mark 1, 35 through 39, Jesus is healing in the synagogue. He leaves the synagogue where he's teaching and healing. He goes back home, which is Peter's home, where Peter is living with his mother across from the synagogue. We've got the archaeological ruins of that today. You can go to Capernaum, and Peter's home is there, and there's a Catholic church built above it. And you can see these archaeological uh, remains actually from a glass floor in the church. And so Jesus goes to where he's staying at Peter's house, and um, they're still bringing people to be healed by Jesus. And he's almost overwhelmed. He almost get the the impression that Jesus pulls an all-nighter. He's got mm -hmm. no sleep. He's got no rest. He's constantly being bombarded by people. And Mark tells us that rising early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, this is Peter here, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next town that I might preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus is healing. He's uh, pulling away or withdrawing by himself to spend time with the Father to pray. And then when he's sent for he says, let's go to a different town. Let's go to another place. Let's go to another place. And so you begin, if you if you begin to study synagogues in the Galilee of the Gentiles, uh, Magdala has two synagogues. Capernaum has a synagogue. Chorazin has a synagogue. Uh, Bethsaida, all of these different places have ruins of synagogues all around the region of Galilee, and they're still discovering synagogues. So because of this verse, you can rest assured that any synagogue you're in in the Galilee region, it's pretty likely that Jesus taught in that synagogue, including the one in his own hometown of Nazareth, which shows up a little bit later. And so the mission of the church is simply be a disciple. Jesus modeled that. He pulled away by himself to be with his father, teach others to be a disciple of, of God, and that's what Jesus was doing, teaching in the synagogues. And then ministering and serving 
in the community that you're in, going to the different communities and ministering and meeting needs. And Jesus did this specifically by healing and casting out demons. So there it is. It's abiding in God. It's being a disciple and it's making disciples. I think back to some of the, the early Christian TV shows, the Jimmy Swaggerts and the and uh, and uh, a number of them who, and some who did healings and through and supposedly cast out demons. It seems like the Western Church focused on that stuff and not mm. so much on discipling. It was more like this: this is this has greater visual appeal than teaching you how to be a disciple, which is hard work. Um, did we lose? Did we lose our way in the West? Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm just thinking about what you, how you asked the question, and I'm thinking about it as you you say you say it. I mean, you can point out all the different things that we're doing as a church, or all the things that we can focus on. And I, I think the the first thing that we miss is what Jesus prioritized, and that was pulling away to a desolate place by himself to pray and spend time with his with his father. You see this when Jesus calls his disciples before he you know gets the 12 in order finally he he's doing this prayerfully. And I think that we can mistake working for Jesus with being with Jesus or mistake being with Jesus for working for Jesus and these things are very different. Um Without being a disciple, we cannot make disciples. We cannot make something that we are not. We can't give away what we don't have. And so I think this intimate being is important before the work of doing. I think that's very important. So if you if you lead with healing the sick, casting out demons, and you know meeting the needs in your community, you know, works of justice is what we call them, or, you know, some people label it social doing doing justice work or social justice work. Without without the theology behind it, without the groundedness of being with God, I think we're missing it altogether. I'm looking at Mark 16 right now because you, you brought this to mind, the Great Commission, when Jesus asked his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. And that can be interpreted a couple different ways. I remember how Doug Greenwald interpreted it. it is, he used a linguistic context and referred to some, some teachers of, of Greek who said what, he, what Jesus was telling his disciples was to go out into the world. And in so doing, by living as a disciple, you will automatically, a matter, as a matter of course, make disciples. Which means to me, the original commission was go. It was go and do, and and he was talking to his disciples. So when you said only disciples can make disciples, there's an indicator right there. Yeah, I mean, and let's look at it since you brought it up. I mean, let's just step into Mark's account of the Great Commission, and and I'll I'll just make the make the the statement that you know the order is here as well. Jesus said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. So that's the task, right? Go, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And, and by the way, 
this is uh, this is what Jesus does. I mean, this is how the Gospel of Mark begins. It actually begins with Mark 1, 14 through 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. This is the good news. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So when Jesus comes preaching, the message is repent and believe the gospel. Uh, Repent means to turn from where you're going to turn from and to turn towards. I mean, we're two weeks from the season of Lent, where it's a 40-day season of penitence where we focus on repentance. And repentance is not only turning from, that's part of repentance, but it's also turning towards. So we turn from, that's half of repentance, and then we turn towards, and that's the other half. So repentance, if you want to get it to 100%, we have to turn from the way we were going and turn to God. So I would argue that here, repentance is turning from our works and our works-based righteousness and our sin and turning towards God. To believe the good news that we can't save ourselves, but God has saved us. In other words, we can't do the work apart from him We need him. So let's go back and and look at the end of the gospel. He said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Verse 16 of Mark 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So this is the first work, believe. And that's something internal. We do this with our head intellectually, and we do this with our heart. We do this with our Um, our soul. We believe that Jesus is God. So we believe in our head and our heart, the the intellectual and the soul, and then we do it with our bodies. We're baptized, and then we're saved. See, a baptism is something we do physically. It's an outward sign of an inward transformation. So it begins repentance, turning, believing the gospel— And serving God in the church all begins with belief. Believe and be baptized. Okay, hard hard question here. Now, I'm just reading the English Standard Version here, and it's different from what I read. It does not say go and make disciples. It says Mm -hmm. proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is like a modern rework. And and footnote here in, in what I'm reading here, and I've heard this before, that in the oldest manuscripts, these verses do not appear as a part of the yeah. Mar- uh, the book of Mark. Um, but they're, they're so pivotal. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It does not say whoever is not baptized will be condemned. There's a difference, yeah. apparently. Is this just semantic, or or is, is there a, a, a real difference A here? little bit. Let, I mean, let's just let's take what you just said. Let's pick that apart a little bit. Make disciples in Matthew. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark's gospel, make disciples. You're right, and you're, you're correct in pointing it out. I think it's very important. Make disciples is is translated, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So how do we make disciples? 
we teach them. We teach them what? We teach them the gospel. We teach them the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how we make disciples. And then those believers, people who believe in mind and in soul and in obedience unto their body being baptized, will, will be saved, and they won't be condemned. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then verse 17, Mark tells us, chapter 16, verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. And here it is. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Now, this is a perfect accompaniment to to Mark 1 and what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Perfect. I mean, it's the exact almost repeat of it. In Capernaum, you're talking about his experience in Capernaum there. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What we were just talking about in Capernaum where Jesus is healing the sick, he's preaching the gospel in the villages, he pulls away, he prays, he spends time with the Father, then he tells his disciples, we're going to go into all these other villages and we're going to do the same thing. We're going to preach the gospel, we're going to heal the sick, we're going to cast out demons. Disciples believe the gospel, and we preach the gospel, and then the signs accompany. So back to your point about you know modern-day discipleship. We focus on the work, we focus on the signs, and we focus on the outcomes. You know, how big is your church? How many people at the prayer meeting? How many people at the Bible study? We focus on all these things. But if we miss first the preaching of the gospel and the obedience, repentance, and baptism, belief, repentance, and baptism, we miss, if we miss being with Jesus, we'll never do the work of Jesus. I'm seeing, too, in this statement, which came from some other place, perhaps, you know, some somebody other than Mark, whether it was a, an early church translator or, or scribe, um, I, there, are, there are cults that pick up this information, maybe take it too literally, like picking up snakes. They do that to show that they're, they're I mean, that they're making a display of that. Um, th- this, is, this is kind of a rocky slope. So it's yeah. important to, to, to know the context here, and, I, and because it may not belong to the book of Mark, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with this. Right. Yeah. Um, And a lot of folks who, you know, speaking in speaking in tongues, there's another another item. Yeah, sure. It depends on how you interpret that, too. I mean, I, I, I believe that speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that you don't know to communicate the good news of Jesus to a, a person who speaks a language that you're not familiar with. I don't think it's gobbledygook. I don't think it's babbling. I don't think it's nonsensical. I think it's actual language that other people can hear the gospel in, whatever that language that would, is. That would explain Paul's admonition to have someone there to interpret. Right, right. This is Yeah, it, it isn't idle babbling, so to speak. 
Uh, now, there there's times when you can pick up snakes and they'll bite you. I mean, you get this account in, of Paul being shipwrecked in the book of Acts, and he's picking up sticks to throw in the fire, and an adder strikes his hand, and everybody's sitting around the campfire waiting for him to die. And when he doesn't, he proceeds to share the gospel with him. So the exact explanation or an exact example of Mark 16, 15 through 18, can be found in the testimony of Paul himself where this actually happened to him. <laughs> so it's not very far-fetched if so, you look at it and then interpret it with you know the biblical text that from another book. I mean, Paul's... Paul's shipwrecked sermon is phenomenal. I, I always envision myself sitting around the campfire and everybody just staring at him, wondering, how is this guy still alive? And then when it when the tensions are nice and intense, Paul says, so there's this Jesus. <laughs> I want to tell you about him. That would make such a such a great movie scene. It really would. Right. I, I, I do the same thing. Now, looking at chapter 17 again and, and reading it carefully, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Yeah, verse in my name will cast. So what there's, he's not saying cast out demons, speak in tongues, pick up snakes. He's saying these things will happen among my disciples and will, yeah. will display, will advertise that you are sincerely uh, changed and, and disciples of mine. So he's not necessarily advocating. I mean, to, to heal people is fine, um, but it, he's not saying make a big deal out of this. Just be be my disciples and these things will will testi testify to your authenticity. And, and, and keep in mind, we're at the end of the book, and we just discussed how chapter 16, verse 17 really verses 15 through 18, really echo what we see happening in Mark chapter 1. Hmm. And then I would argue that continues to happen throughout the Gospels and the teaching and the life and ministry of Jesus and his disciples. So, again, discipleship is you don't lead with works. You know, you don't lead with the sign. A lot of people will go straight to the work of God without the belief, without the repentance, and without the works. They'll, they'll look for the sign. They'll look for the miracle. They'll look for the healing. And, you know, you see this where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, everyone's looking for you. Like, what are you doing here by yourself? Pulling away from these crowds and crowds and crowds of need. And I think what Jesus is modeling there is he's being with God, his father. That the first, the first mark of a disciple is that they be with Jesus. I mean, you pick this up in the book of Acts when the book of Acts says that they could tell that these men had been with Jesus. And so our being with Jesus spills over into our preaching and teaching and our good works or our healing or service or you fill in the blank with what your good work is. But contrary to what people ascribe to, you know, St. Francis, who had supposedly said, 
you know, preach preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Well, mm. I, I disagree with that <laughs> because you can't teach or you can't preach the gospel and not use words because the sign itself needs to be needs to be a completion of the gospel being preached. It has to be connected to it. So you, this is why Jesus said, you know, whenever you get, give someone a cup of cold water in my name, so you don't just do the good work and it be detached from the good news of Jesus. Well, amen. There's so much more we maybe we'll do some more of this next week i mean this is uh, wonderful information here um i did want to throw in what i read about mark's end though so presumably and i consider this an authoritative after peter died he left rome and went to alexandria and started a church there but it was a tough time for christians and there were cults cultists who who finally captured him dragged him to death through the streets of alexandria and that, mm. that's how Mark may well have met his end. So yeah. it was a tough time for Christians all around, and uh, he went to a, it, it, it's a front of the church that we don't hear too much about, North Africa. Um, yeah, mm. this is a lot of this stuff is uh, church tradition, like mm-hmm. Peter being hung upside down or John being boiled in water, oil, you know, all well, of this. I, I would there. guess this is Alexandrian tradition and maybe Coptic Christian tradition uh, that, yeah. that tells us that story. But uh, it's so fascinating just to, just to, get into the depths of this and uh, Robbie we thank you as always and appreciate the time that you spend with us and uh, pleasure as always to be with you Jim and David thanks so much for having me on the broken road